going to continue on with our study in the Mark chapter 10. If you'd like to turn there, if you would, I'd like to read a few verses for you. Verses that we're going to spend some time in this morning. As you're turning there, I'm going to ask you if you remember a song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Remember it? I remember singing it as a child, learning those important words. And you may ask, so where does the Bible tell me this? Well, one of the places is right here in Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 13 through 16 and then spend some time looking at uh, three different things that these verses are going to teach us. I'm going to teach us a little bit about service, a little bit about salvation, and then a lot about the Savior. So we're going to learn some important things this morning. And some of those things that we're going to learn are things about uh, ministry to children and the importance of children in our lives, but also that we learn how to act like children sometimes. I remember it's being childlike, not, not childish. <laughs> That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So Mark chapter 10, read with me in verse 13. The Bible records, And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Don't, don't hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and he began blessing them, laying his hands on them. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you. We thank you for today. We thank you for the word. We thank you for the Spirit of God who stirs our hearts and is our teacher. So we pray that as we open these words and we learn from what Jesus was saying, that we might see our lives changed. You know, you've left us here with responsibility to be parents, to be believers, to impact a world that's lost and dying. So many things that we're here to be doing. And in these words of the Lord Jesus Christ, we learn some important aspects of that, how we should live and act and be in a world that's lost and hateful. So, Father, as we learn today, change our lives. We wouldn't just learn things and increase our head knowledge, but that our heart would be challenged and our hearts would change. That's what we pray for today, Father. Open your word to us. Be our teacher. Change our lives. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning I want to talk a little bit about childlike faith. But we're going to move around a little bit. We'll talk about children. We'll talk about us. We'll talk about the Lord Jesus. But all of it revolves around the topic of childlike faith. And I want to show you several topics that are brought up here in these verses that contain some important principles for us to interact with and to apply to our lives, such as the topic, as I mentioned before, of service, topic of salvation, and lastly, an important lesson from the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to understand that Jesus has a special place in his heart and in his plans for children. But he also wants us to learn something about the way that we should live, the way that we should respond, the circumstances of life as a child. So our first topic is going to be about service. The first thing I noticed in this passage as I studied and prepared for today is that it clearly reveals certain responsibilities that both the parent and the church have toward children. And fulfilling these responsibilities is, is kind of a form of service. Thus, the first topic being service. Kind of a form of service to our children. So let's look at some of the ways that we can serve our children. We serve our children first by evangelizing them. I'd like you to take your Bible. Keep your finger there in Mark chapter 10. We'll eventually be back there. But turn way over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
verses that many of you are very familiar with, and if you're not, you should probably consider um, hiding these in your heart as well. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, um, is one of the earliest passages that talk about believers and encourages us to be sharing the things of God with our kids, with our children, with those that we influence. Deuteronomy 1 through, excuse me, Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 8, or talk about that, but I want your eyes to look at uh, verse 4. Let's, let's start there, and we'll read through verse 8. It records, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Sound familiar? And yeah, Jesus knew these words, didn't he? These words which I have commanded you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. Now turn all the way back over to, to Ephesians chapter 6. Just giving you a couple examples of multiple places in the scripture where we are encouraged to be in his word and be training our children in a certain way. Deuteronomy 6 encourages us to do that. Now look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. We're going to spend a little time here for a while. Ephesians 6 verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. None of us would ever do that, right? All the kids looked up at me like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I was guilty of that a few times myself. And it's a hard, hard lesson to learn. To be able to discipline and to encourage and to challenge without provoking. But let's go on. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the Old Testament encouraged the believers to be in the Word and sharing it with their children. The New Testament continues it on. With the, it renews that challenge to each one of us. Parents should do everything in their power to ensure that their children are exposed to the gospel. It means teaching them that nothing in this world is more important than the Lord and his business. You hear that? Nothing in this world is more important than the Lord and his business. So often we find ourselves, at least I always did, we find ourselves asking, how's school? <laughs> How are your friends? What's going on in your life? And talking about those things that are secondary. Important, certainly. And for children, we, we need to talk about those things because there may be lessons to learn about the scripture and about the Lord and about evangelization and all of those things. But the important thing that we need to be focusing on when we're spending time with our children is to encourage them to be in God's word. What is God saying to them? What does God want me to be teaching them? You know, according to a Gallup poll that was some years ago, I read this Oh, goodness, it's been a while. But according to this, to this Gallup poll that I read, 19 out of 20 people who become Christians do so before the age of 25. So if I were to take a poll in here and just ask how many of you received Christ before you were 25 and we all raised our hands, it should be a good number. I won't do that. I was 17. So I fit that number. But listen to these numbers. At age 25, 1 in 10,000 will become believers. At 35, 1 in 50,000. At 45, 1 in 200,000. And these are just numbers that they came up with as a result of the survey that they took. At 55, 1 in 300,000. And at 75, 1 in 700,000 people will place their faith in Jesus Christ. It points out the importance of engaging with the gospel and with the word of God in the lives and the hearts of our kids. So very, very important. And Jesus knew this. And we're going to see in a little while that the disciples missed it. But we'll come back to that in a moment. We serve our children by evangelizing them. Secondly, we serve our children by educating them. By bringing 
their children to Jesus, these parents were telling their children that they saw something special there. And like those ancient parents, believers today uh, have the responsibility of modeling our faith in Jesus so that the younger generation can see that he's worth knowing. Modeling that. If my faith doesn't change my life and cause me to be a better person, if my faith doesn't change me to be the father that I need to be, the husband that I need to be, that I'm, I'm living the word of God, then my children are going to see that I'm fake. And it's not really impacted my life. They need to see my life. We need to be modeling those things. We're responsible for educating our children about the things of God. Isn't that what Ephesians 6, 4 said? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Another version says, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's two things there. Education or, or um, in, yeah, education and encouragement. Education would be spending time in the Word. That you've got a plan of some kind. Mom and dad, grandparents, we're not off the hook. I get to spend regular time with my grandkids. Not a month ago, I spent a week with my grandson in the woods. Now, we weren't talking a lot about the scripture while we were looking for the elk that we were, but we still got to spend a lot of time in the evenings together, and we had opportunity to talk. And so each one of us come across children from time to time, or those that are younger. And this verse here is talking about fathers specifically, parents specifically, but each one of us can be engaged in the education of the young ones so that they can come to Jesus Christ at an early age. That word education or, excuse me, the word instruction points out a planned and structured walk through the teachings of scripture with our children. Looking into the word, spending some time there. <laughs> when our kids were little, you may not find this as funny as I do. Denise will smile. But when our kids were little, one of our favorite times was as they were going to bed. You know how tough bedtime is, right? You know, as, as a parent, I remember there were three tough times. Potty time. We'll move beyond that one real quickly. Uh, uh, dinner time, because nobody liked anything that mom made. And that's a problem. And then bedtime. Bedtime was always so hard. One of the things that I did as a dad was I was always there, so I tried to make certain that I was involved. But we did these stories from memory. And so they, after a while, they got so excited about these stories from memory, they would run to their bedroom. And of course, their, mo their favorite one was Lazarus coming out of the closet. Yeah, they enjoyed that one. But <laughs> you find unique and special ways to, to develop your children and to, and to pour into them, to be proactive and engaged, to, Remember, God says his word won't return to him void. It will not return to him void. But the only way it can return to him is if it's sent out. So put it out there. And let God do the work that he said he's going to do. As a result of engaging and filling our children's minds and our own minds with the sanctifying, changing word of God. How's your time in the word? You know I'd find a way to ask you that today. I hope it's good. I hope it's solid. And if it's like mine, it's struggling. So make decisions to spend time in the Word of God because it changes your life. And then you can impact the lives of others, especially those young ones, the little ones that you have, that you have opportunity to touch. Not only do we uh, serve our children by educating, but also by encouraging. So that verse goes on. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord or ad, ad, in the nurture and admonition. Admonition is the idea of encouragement. So not only do we have a structured time in the Word that we, we try to be a part of, but we're encouraging our children. We're talking about the things as you walk by the way and you, you do the things and you go hunting. You, whatever it is you're doing with your grandchildren or, your, or the kids that you know or you're influencing, make certain that you're spending time talking about what's God doing. 
Here's something he's doing in my life. And encourage them so that they can hear about the good things that God does. If educating them is, is our call to teach the scripture, then admonishment is the call to encourage them in the things of God. Having those conversations about life with him and how he loves and leads and builds us into the people that he needs us to be. And if they see that happening in your life, they will be challenged and encouraged to give that a try. I guarantee it. His word will not return to him void. So our second topic that I want to look at is the topic of salvation. Turn back over to, if you're not there already, turn back over to Mark chapter 10 to our verses. The text certainly highlights each adult's responsibility in this, to serve our children by helping them in spiritual formulation or foundations, but also it speaks about the matter of salvation. The fact that children are invited to come to the Savior implies that the children needed a Savior. Now, a lot of folks don't like to hear this, but children are sinners and have need of a Savior, just like you and I do. In fact, again, Go ahead and keep your finger there in Mark chapter 10 and turn back with me to, to Psalm, or you can just listen. Psalm chapter 51 and verse 5. Psalmist says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. We're born a sinner with need of a Savior. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, I'll read these, verse, these words to you as well. Unless you like to jump around with me. Ephesians chapter 2. I'll begin at verse 1 actually. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now listen to verse 3. Among them we too, this is Paul talking to Christians, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest we are born into sin and our children as loving as they are and as loving as much as we love them need a savior and here in mark chapter 10 maybe one of the reasons why the parents and other concerned adults must do all they can do to bring the children face to face with the claims of the gospel to expose them to the word of god when children hear the gospel preached and taught and lived out they're far more likely to come to jesus at an early age Isn't that what Romans 10 says? Faith comes by what? By hearing. And hearing by the word of God. You've got to hear it. It's got to be sent out. That's what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. That from a child you've heard the Holy Scriptures and are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, you heard the word all of your life. And it's because of that washing through your mind, washing through your mind, And you came to that place and God was able to use that to bring you to the place of salvation where you saw your need for repentance and and forgiveness. What does that all involve? You know, it's interesting, and I I think these these next few points are points that probably need to be made, I think, just just for clarification. You know, whenever a discussion about childhood salvation comes up, someone always mentions the age of accountability. And it surprises some folks to find out that the Bible doesn't mention a specific age. A child becomes accountable for his or her sins when they come to the place where they can understand the difference between right and wrong. When they're able to choose between right and wrong. Just because our children are young, don't assume that they don't need a Savior. Children grow up quick, and they need to know about Jesus Christ. Start early and share with them. And a second issue that often comes up that I've had opportunity to discuss with a lot of folks is, well, what about children that die before the age of accountability? What about them? How do you answer that question? Because there are a lot of, a lot of hurting people out there that, that have that question right now. And what does the Bible say about anything about that? If you'd like, you can turn over with me to 2 Samuel 
chapter 12. And let me show you a very special passage of scripture that I believe shows us exactly what God does when he takes a child home prior to the age of accountability. 2 Samuel chapter 12, and let's look at, um, we'll start at verse 21, but just to give you some background, um, David was confronted by Nathan, was reminded that uh, he had stolen someone's wife. They had a child, and Nathan reminded him of all of the things that he told him. You can go back and read all of 2 Samuel chapter 12. All that he told him was, the child will die. And David, being the godly man, he, he had confessed that. He, 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 had, he had moved past it, and yet there was this child that was going to die, and it, and it felt deathly sick. And David began to fast and to pray, and for seven days he did it. And God took the child home, or, or the child died. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 12... And maybe I'll begin reading in verse 19. When David saw that his servants were whispering together, David perceived that the child was dead. So David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So David arose from the ground and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he came into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. And then he came to his own house. And when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. And he confused his servants. Listen to what they say. Verse 21. His servants said to him, what is this thing you've done? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, and when the child died, you rose and ate food. It seems backwards to us. And he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me, and the child may live. But now that he has died, why should I fast? Listen close. Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Now what do we know about David? David was a believer. When David passed from this life to the next, he went to be with the Lord. And when he went to be with the Lord, the child was there. Because that's where, when David said, I will go to him, he was saying, once I die, I'll be in the Lord's presence and the child will be there. I think when they die, those children that die before the age of accountability, they may not be saved, but they're safe. I believe the graciousness of our God keeps them safe in in that condition. They're regenerated and taken to heaven. And parents who have experienced the heartbreak of a lost young child or a stillbirth or any of those experiences that many of us have gone through can rest in the fact of knowing that those babies are in God's presence. And when you slip into his presence one day as a believer, they will be there. And that includes those babies that have died through abortion. They're in God's presence because they're safe. And if you know anyone or have experienced a situation where someone needed comfort as a result of having walked through that experience, give it to them. Remind them that there is forgiveness for the act and there is, there is a, a new baby that's in God's presence and one day they'll see them if they know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So what else does this illustrate? Turn back from 2 Samuel back over to Mark chapter 10. How are we doing on time? Looking good. So this whole matter of children coming to Jesus was used by our Lord to illustrate the way all believers must come to him. So in this passage, Jesus says that all who come to him must come as a little child. And what he's doing is he's referring to a few of the special characteristics that separate children from adults. I think one of the characteristics that he's talking about is the characteristic of trust. Children trust without questioning, don't they? We all trust to one degree or another. Jesus is here talking about complete trust. Not trust blended with wisdom, not trust blended with intellect, not trust blended with bank accounts, not trust in any other fashion. Just complete, unending trust with nothing else. Trust that is, that is unquestioning. You trust Jesus like that today? 
Or is there some amalgamation that you put together that trust with who I am, trust with what I know, trust with what I own, trust with you fill in the blank? Or do you just trust him? Jesus says that's the kind of trust that saves. That's what he's looking for. That's what he wants from us. And the trust of a child is a lesson for you and I to learn today. We don't trust because of who we are, what we've attained, the job that we have, the finances we have, whatever it is. We trust because Jesus is trustworthy. And that's it. All those other things are good and important and can be useful for the kingdom. But they do not build the foundation of trust. Second characteristic that I think uh, children display that we need to hear about this morning is dependency. Children are dependent, again, without questioning and without hesitation. They know there's nothing they can do on their own. And if we're truly dependent on our Heavenly Father, what, what would our life look like? Every decision would be made in prayer before it's made. You know, sometimes I'm guilty of deciding and then asking God to bless. Sanctify what I'm planning to do, Lord. This is what I'm going to go and do. I'd like for your blessing on that. And that is completely backwards of what God wants from me. He wants me to be completely dependent on him and trust him and without hesitation depend on his answer and his direction for my life. Every decision is bathed in prayer before it's made. Every thought passes through the grid of his word for appropriateness and godliness. Every thought. What if we would do that every day? Before we said anything. Lord, what do you think about that? Now, granted, that takes a lot of thinking. (laughs) And not all of us want to be doing that much thinking, but... What would, what would our lives look like? What would our tongues sound like? What would our conversations look like, sound like, if every thought, every word, every direction we choose to go was passed through his word first, and we would say, oh, wait, don't think that's the direction he desires me to go. Don't think that's what he wants me to say to my spouse today. Don't think that's what he wants me to do as an employee or as a boss or you fill in the blank. What if we passed every thought through his word? We would show that dependency that children have. What if we believe that every dollar that's in my bank account is his? Everyone. Received from his gracious hand because of the gracious abilities that he's given to me and the job that he's blessed me with. And all of it is from his hand and it is all his. And it comes with a stewardship. Every dollar. How would we live? How would we give? What would all that look like? That kind of dependency is the kind of dependency that Jesus was alluding to when he said, children, the way that children act, the characteristics that they show, trust that's unwavering, dependency without hesitation, those are the kinds of things that children display that Jesus was alluding to. Those are the requirements for a person to come to Christ. For a person to be saved, regardless of their age, they've got to be willing to humble themselves before God. Willing to lay down the pride of life that they've lived and the achievements that they've lived. Those are secondary. They must humble themselves by acknowledging their sin before God. They must be willing to admit that their works and their religious activity and all those other things do not save them. They must come to the place where they, like a little child, simply look to Jesus in pure faith, trusting that he'll do everything he's promised to do. A person must look to Jesus by faith, trusting him and his finished work in order for their soul to be saved requires childlike qualities of trust, humility, dependence. It's the only way anyone ever receives salvation. So we looked at service and we looked at the accountability of, of, uh, of the children. We looked at salvation. And now I want to look at lessons from the Savior. Jump back over to Mark chapter 10 if you don't happen to be there. And we'll look at those verses again. Look at verse 13. They were bringing children to him 
so that he might touch them. But the, but the disciple, <laughs> the they is obviously the parents, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. The disciples thought that Jesus was too busy for a bunch of kids. And when the Bible says they brought them to him, it meant, it, it alludes to the fact that there was a long line of kids. There was a lot of people that wanted to see him. And, and it, was the, it was the culture of that time that the teachers and leaders would, would touch each one and bless them. And the disciples are thinking, you don't have time for this. We don't have time for this. We've got big things to do. Kingdom to build. People to see. You know, shakers and movers that we need to talk to. What's with the kids? The kids, set the kids aside. And the Bible says that Jesus was indignant. It is the only place in the New Testament where this word is used in this context by Je- about Jesus. And f- folks, I got to tell you, it literally means he was livid just beside himself. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. The first is, is he loved children. <laughs> He's shown that many times. He just loved children. Jesus loves me, this I know, right? The little ones to him belong. I know it's possible for kids to get on their nerves every once in a while. They've never gotten on mine, but I know it's probably true for you. But followers of Christ, people who want to be like Jesus, love children. Don't tell me that you don't like kids. That's a problem. Jesus loved them. I think there's a second reason that he's indignant. I want you to see this. The second reason I believe that he's angry is that the disciples, <laughs> the disciples have been with Jesus for three years, okay? And multiple times he's explained to them his plans. And they're just not getting it. In fact, just in the Gospel of Mark alone, I'd like to do a little survey with you. I think we have time. And just show you what it is I'm trying to point out. But you know, it occurred to me as I was going through here that, that this, isn't, this isn't something new. This, in, this indignant um, attitude that Jesus uh, pointed out is, is something that's been coming for some time. I mean, if you, if you want to turn with me or you can just listen, uh, I want to go back just through the Gospel of Mark and point out a few times that the disciples just were kind of missing things. Back in, we could start in chapter 4, where Jesus began teaching the crowds in parables. He'd just given them the parable of the sower in the beginning of, of uh, chapter 4. And in verse uh, 13, Jesus, Jesus said to them, sorry, wrong page, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? And Jesus is saying to them, look guys, this is, this is Christianity 101. <laughs> this is basic stuff. If you're not getting this, we've got a problem. Later in the same chapter, they're all in the boat. When the storm shows and threatens to sink them all. And remember, Jesus is asleep and he's calm and the boat's going all over and the, the disciples are, are beside themselves. And they wake him up and say, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and what did he do? He rebuked the wind. He calmed the sea. And then he turned to them and said, why are you afraid? You still have no faith. Why would he say that? Well, he'd say that because they'd been with him and they'd seen him cast out demons because they'd seen him heal people uh, of all kinds of diseases, including a leper. He even healed a paralytic and told him his sins were forgiven. Why at this point are they still lacking faith? Then you come over to chapter 8, Mark chapter 8. The crowds had followed Jesus to a desolate place and they were hungry. And and oh, by the way, this chapter 8, this is following obviously chapter 6, where Jesus had already fed 5,000. Remember that? In fact, it says he fed 5,000 men. So if it's, a normal, if it's a normal crowd, there were probably just as many women, a bunch of kids. So he probably fed somewhere between ten and 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish. So the disciples have already seen it in chapter 6. They know what he's capable of doing. You come over to chapter 8... And the people, of the, he's led these people out into a desolate place. And Jesus said, man, this is, we're too far out here. These people can't get anything to eat. We've got to do something about this. He's trying to teach them again. And what did the disciples say? Oh, my goodness. Where can we find food for these? <laughs> I don't know. What about 
What about Jesus? <laughs> I bet he could do it. You know he's frustrated. Later in the same chapter of chapter 8, they're on their way back across the sea, and Jesus said to them, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they totally missed it. They totally, they totally missed it. He's saying that because we didn't bring any bread. You figure Jesus maybe wanted to toss somebody into the lake? <laughs> Come on, guys. He says to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Do you not remember how I fed the 5,000? How I fed the crowds before? And he goes and outlines everything he'd done to feed the crowds. Didn't you get it then? They just weren't seeing it. They were dull. Later in the same chapter, they're up in Caesarea Philippi, and Peter had just given his great confession, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Finally, somebody's getting it. Now listen, guys, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I'll be handed over to the chief priests. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be killed. But the good news is, I'll rise from the grave on the third day. And what did Peter say? No way, Lord. This is never going to happen to you. Not while I'm alive. Jesus had to say, get, get behind me, Satan. You missed it again. Mark 9, in the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John are taken to the high mountain where they see Jesus peel back the flesh and shows them his glory. Peter's response, man, Lord, this is great. It's good for us to be here. It's build three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but this time God's got to be ready to just toss Peter. He's missing it. God says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen. And by the way, while Jesus and the three disciples were up on the mountain, Luke reminded us last week, the other nine disciples were failing in an attempted exorcism of that demon-possessed boy. And then still in chapter 9, after the transfiguration and their exorcism failure, after Jesus' second passion prediction, they're arguing about which one of them is the greatest. Remember that? What did Jesus do? He took a child and he placed it in front of them and he said, there's greatness. There's greatness right there. You're totally missing what it is I'm trying to show you. There it is. So in chapter 9, the disciples had a child placed before them by the, by the Savior and, tell, and told them that he this was greatness. And in the very next chapter, parents are bringing children. And what do they do? You guys got to get away. He didn't have time for you. It's no wonder he was indignant. Time after time after time after time, they missed what Jesus was saying. Now, that whole diatribe was awfully arrogant, don't you think? Because... Time after time after time after time, I miss what the Savior is saying. And so do you. And the good news for the disciples was Jesus saw more than their failures. He was patient with them. He saw what was coming. He knew that at Pentecost, the Spirit of God was going to come and fill them with, with power. And they were going to do miraculous things and build his church. He could see that church. The good news was he saw the end as well as the journey. And you and I are still on our journey. And we're still tripping and falling. And he keeps picking us up and dusting us off and saying, I love you. Uh, try not to miss it again, but I do love you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to grow you into the person I need you to be. And that journey will be tough at times and easy at times. But that journey will come to an end and we'll, we'll finish this. I promise you. The good news is, is we have the Spirit of God living in our lives as believers. And he empowers us and enables us and prepares us and allows us to walk that path and be successful. So I guess I want to say the disciples weren't so bad. Jesus was patient with them just like he's patient with us. And he did unbelievable things through those dull of mind men. And he'll do unbelievable and challenging and exciting things through you and I. When we become childlike in our faith, we trust without exception. We're dependent without hesitancy and we walk 
and the power of the Spirit of God. What Jesus does here in Mark chapter 10 is to elevate children to a place of importance for certain. He also reveals that children hold a special place in his heart. Absolutely. It reveals a lot about Jesus. Just reminds us that God is not interested in what we can do. He's not interested in what we can give or how old we are or what we've accomplished in the past or what standing we have in this world or anything. You fill in the blank. Whatever floats your boat, God's not interested in that. He simply invites us to come to him on the basis of pure grace. Jesus loves lost sinners and he invites us to come, any of them, to come to him and find forgiveness. Mark chapter 10 verse 16 ends with these words. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. It indicates that he took the time to bless each individual child that came before him. No matter how young they were or how insignificant they appeared, Jesus cared about them and took time for them. Never think for an instant that Jesus doesn't care about you for any reason. He loves you and he'll not turn away from you if you come to him. No matter where the path of life has taken you, no matter what you've done, no matter how insignificant you might feel, Jesus Christ will save you and fill you and change your life if you'll simply come to him. He cares about your condition and he'll take the time to touch your life if you'll only come to faith in him. Bow your heads and let's pray together. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just let me say that um, regardless of whether you're saved or lost, young or old, Jesus cares about you. And if you're lost today, you've never found faith, you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ and found forgiveness in his shed blood. If he's calling you today, today is a great day to come to him. While this message is mainly about children, it isn't only for children. Because if you've never been saved, regardless of your age, you need to come to Jesus today. He died on the cross to save you if you're lost. And believer, if your life has gotten complicated by living in an adult world and you need some help from God today, you can get it. He's as patient with you as he is with those disciples that didn't seem to get it. He will forgive you today, and if you come to him, you'll find that his grace is sufficient for you. If there are needs in your life, you can come to him like those little children did 2,000 years ago and find the help that you need. 